0: Good afternoon, everybody. How are you all doing today? Welcome back to Praise Gathering. Does everyone have their handouts today? If you need a handout or an envelope for your giving, just shoot your hand up in the air and we'll help you with that. We take up our tithes and offerings at the end of our service. You have plenty of time to pray over that and prepare as well. And I pray for you in your giving that God continue to bless you. And I pray, friends, that we could do better as a ministry to love not just one another here, but share the love of God to the ends of the earth. Hey. Our study this afternoon is called Garment. Garment. I woke up this morning, and I wasn't quite sure what I was going to wear today. Now, normally, what helps me determine that on a Saturday specifically would be, I go into my boys' room and along their dresser, their clothes are neatly laid out for them for Saturday morning. Their mom prepares their clothes for them Saturday, uh, Friday night so when they wake up, we're ready to go. And for some reason, I just find it easier instead of trying to decide what will I wear today. I go to my boys' room and today they had khakis and a polo shirt. So I just decided to dress up like them. What do you decide about how you're going to dress each day? You probably look out the window or open it and check the weather forecast. You want to know, you know, are you going to be dressed appropriately for the rest of the day? Maybe it depends on what sort of event you're going to. After work, you might have a special meet up with friends. So you don't want to wear your regular work clothes. You want to look a little bit nicer on that day. Did you know that the Bible talks a lot about garments? There's a lot of things about garments in the Bible. And as much as we say the Lord doesn't look at the outward appearance, but he looks at the heart, while that's true, there's a story that Jesus told us, and it talked about the the garment that wasn't appropriate for a particular setting. Okay? So today we're going to jump right into our study. Our study is called Garment. And our first section is simply the parable of the wedding banquet. And that could be found if you want to open your Bibles, Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 to 14. And you might want to keep that open as we study. It's a longer passage. We do have the words up on the screen as well.
1: Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, tell those who had been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened and cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off um, onto his fields, t- one oh, to his fields, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen.
0: Many are invited, nor many are called, but few are chosen." Now let's learn a little bit something here just about the Jewish weddings of the time, okay? Let's put it in context. In Jewish society, the parents of the betrothed would draw up a marriage contract. The bride and groom would meet, probably for the first time, when the contract is signed. At this point, they are considered married but they would separate until the time of the ceremony. During this time, the bride remains with her parents and the groom leaves to prepare their home. When the home was ready, the groom would return to collect his bride without notice. The marriage ceremony takes place followed by the wedding banquet. Now we've studied a a bunch of different stories, like the the parable of the 10 virgins, right? Carrying their lamps and um, they were waiting for the bridegroom to come. Remember, the bridegroom returns once the home is prepared, and uh, it is without notice. We also remember that time where, who was it? Samson went with his parents to go meet his bride, right? And at that time, there would have been that marriage contract that they're preparing. So it's, um, it's interesting. They're already considered married at the time that they first meet. They don't spend their days together yet, right? There's still work to be done. The man goes and prepares their home, and when it's ready, he comes and collects his bride. Does it sound a little familiar? When Jesus said to his followers, I go and prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, right? And the the church has been referred to as the bride of Christ, and Jesus is the bridegroom, and there's already some sort of sacred Um, commitment that we have with Christ now, but we're still waiting for the great wedding banquet, aren't we? Okay, so during this time, Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us, and I'm waiting for the time that he comes to take us back to be with him for all eternity. Now, this parable is one of those parables that Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, right? The kingdom of heaven is like The kingdom of heaven is like. And whenever he tells a story, he gives different characters and a, a cool situation. So these characters, they're not just fancy characters he picked out. Every character has a purpose. He's trying to communicate some truth in all of these parables. So let's go to understanding this parable. Who is the king in this parable? Who does the king represent? Father God, right? And he's preparing a wedding banquet for whom? His son, Jesus Christ, right? And then who were the people that were first invited but refused to come? The Jewish people of the time, the Israelites, okay? They were given the invitation. They were God's special people, but they refused to come. They gave every lazy excuse why they weren't going to show up, so they rejected the invitation, When they started behaving this way, forgetting about this invitation, busy with life, there were servants that were sent out. Who were these servants? In the Old Testament, they would be the prophets, right? And then even though they rejected the truth, even though they rejected the invitation, the Jews, they sent out more servants, right? These more servants would be like the apostles, uh, the forerunners. Remember John the Baptist? It said that they captured these servants they mistreated them and they killed them they killed john the baptist didn't they all right so who were gathered from the streets who are the people that the servants went out and gathered from the streets these are the gentiles those that didn't get the first tier invitation right But now they went out and they said, all these people, go to every corner. Find anybody that you can, both the good and the bad. Collect them and tell them about the banquet. Bring them here. Okay? For the rest of the study, we're going to be talking about this ill-dressed man and who he represents, what he's all about. Okay? I stopped and read this story before when I was younger, and I wondered, where did all the people from the streets get their wedding clothes? And I used to ask. I'm like, it's not fair that one guy gets kicked out because he's not wearing his wedding clothes. Something we need to understand about this. When the king offers an invitation, he provides everything that is needed for the celebration. He provides a garment for the people so when they come, you know what? We're not looking at, oh, what did you wear today? You know, What shoes do they have on? We're not comparing anything. The king says, come to my wedding banquet. Here's your garment. Everything is provided. Everything that you need is already done. So just put on the garment, accept the invitation, and come. This man, he heard the invitation, didn't he? He knew there was a party going on. So what does he do? He shows up. But what's he wearing? The king said, how did you get in here without your wedding garment that I provided you? Maybe he had it on at first, and he went in, and he felt, I don't need to wear this anymore. Maybe he took it off. The, the story doesn't say. The only thing we do know is he was spotted that he was not wearing what the king had provided. Jesus teaches this lesson, I believe, that it was taught to teach us about self-righteousness, to teach us about the, inadequ- the inadequacy of self-righteousness we might think we're good enough to be there because we got the invitation. But if we show up with just ourself, without what God has given us, then we're relying on our own self-righteousness instead of relying on the righteousness that's provided by our God. So all those invited were instructed to wear the wedding garment provided for them by the king. It would be a terrible insult to the king to refuse to wear the garment provided for the guests. We know that the first people that heard the invitation, they outright rejected the invitation, didn't they? They just didn't even bother showing up. And then all those that accepted the invitation would have worn the garments. But there's people like this one guy. They hear the invitation, but in a subtle way. They think that I'm good. They think I have my in. Since I was invited, I'm just going to wear whatever I want to wear. In a very subtle way, it is also a rejection. What happened to the man? He gets thrown out. The king gets his attendants. Tie him up, hand and foot, throw him out into the darkness where there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's not the place you want to be. Not enjoying the fellowship with God. It would be a hell. Let's go to our next section here the garment coverings throughout Scripture. Let's look at Isaiah 64, verse 6a.
1: All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our, righteousness, or all of our righteous acts are like
0: filthy rags. Everyone say filthy rags. Filthy rags. filthy rags. filthy rags. No matter how hard you try, whatever you show up with, if it's not given by God, it is like filthy rags. No matter how much you bathe to smell good, you would still be considered unclean. Okay, so what are you wearing today? If it wasn't the blood of Christ, I don't know. Maybe we're still unclean and we're still parading about in filthy rags. The first uh, wardrobe story that we read about is found in Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to verses 7 and 21.
1: Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them.
0: All right, here, Adam and Eve. Why did they make fig leaves, a a garment of fig leaves? Okay, they were naked. and They were probably naked before that, but they didn't realize it, right? (laughs) Or they were covered by a glory. So they, they did not realize their nakedness. When you look at yourself and you realize there's something wrong, something went missing and you try to fix that. You're trying to, in a way, save yourself, protect yourself. You try to cover up your shame. You try to cover up your guilt. And no matter what you try to do, you could go to, I don't know, go to confession because you feel bad and you want to get that off your chest. You know, and then you feel better after, but you still go back and do the same thing. You're still dwelling and living in your shameful acts. You're still living with this guilt that keeps creeping up on you. No matter what you try to do, you could try to do good acts to cancel out the bad. You know people that live this way? If I just do better, maybe it cancels out all the things I've done which are not good. All those attempts are inadequate. They can't cover anything. Now, God saw Adam and Eve covered in their fig leaves, and he says, this is inadequate. This will not do. This man-made clothing that you've had for yourself will simply not do. What does he do? He goes and provides them with adequate clothing, the skins of animal, sacrificed animal, to cover over their guilt, to cover over their shame, because what they had tried was barely adequate. Let's look at Revelation. So that was at the beginning of the Bible and we're going straight to the end of the Bible, Revelation chapter seven, verses (laughs) nine and 14b.
1: After this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. These are they who have come out of tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb.
0: So in this vision recorded in Revelation, we see those in heaven wearing what? White robes. And And not just like cream colored or light. This is like white robes immaculately white, and how did they get these robes to be so white? What kind of detergent do you use? (laughs) Tide, Purex, Gain, Cheer, Clorox, bleach, bleach. (laughs) I don't know what you use. And, And you know, all these different detergents promise you you will get the whitest whites. Now they obviously, whoever's marketing, didn't take into consideration my family. Because in our family we get lots of spills, we get lots of stains, and no matter what detergent we use, those stains still show up on their white clothes, okay? Nothing gets whiter white than the detergent, in a way, that makes us clean. The white robes are only made that white and purified to be so pure and and clean by the washing in the blood of the lamb. There might still be stain. You feel that I'm walking with God now. I've uh, confessed my sins. You might confess, but have you repented? You might acknowledge when you've done something wrong, but you haven't turned away. All right? So you're still living your life wearing what you think is a white robe. You put on Christ. You put on righteousness, but you're walking around with stains all over that robe. What are you wearing today, my friends? We've got to be careful. We've got to be careful with what we, we choose to believe. Some of us think that we could do enough righteous deeds, but remember, they're simply like filthy rags compared to what Christ has done for us at the cross. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 9.
1: Of faith.
0: So he talks about counting it all as loss. And I hear this phrase quoted many times at church, lots of sermons, and I still don't really grasp it. You know, what do you mean count it all as loss? When we count everything as loss compared to knowing Christ, it means. Knowing Christ is the top thing, our our first priority. It's all that we desire, all that we care about. Are there other things that you're still desiring here in this world? Is there anything that you desire that you think is more important than knowing Christ? You see, you could live your life thinking, okay, I've accepted Jesus, I want to know Christ, so I'll read my Bible for a few minutes this morning. I'm going to pray a little bit longer today, make me feel a little more holy, you know. Um, be more connected with God. And you try to do all these things, but in your heart, you know, you're just trying to get it done and over with so you could get on with your day and get more gains. There are many Christians that even use the name of Jesus, that use God so that they could gain more material wealth for themselves so that they could feel cushy, that they could feel happy here on earth building up their kingdom rather than building up God's kingdom, you see. Trying to keep the law in order to gain righteousness will never be enough. Is your trust in God's righteousness or in your own self-righteousness because of your seeming good deeds? How does the righteousness of Christ transfer? How does it translate? How does it apply to us? You know, we could talk all about it in theory, right? Oh, the righteousness of Christ is yours when you choose him. Let's break it down a little bit more. Uh, The gift of salvation. It is first and foremost a gift. Something that's bestowed upon you. Now you may receive the gift of salvation all packaged nice and neatly in a perfect sermon. okay? And you agree with that truth that's in there so you decide, let me take this home. What if I have the gift of salvation here in my hand? And I'm just going to put it up here on the shelf in my house for everyone to see so they know I have the gift of salvation and it stays up there in its box, all neatly wrapped. And then you go away and live your merry way. That gift of salvation hasn't been experienced by you. You haven't opened it up yet. You see, how does it apply to you? How does the gift of Christ's righteousness apply to you? We say we accept it, that's like the man that just heard the invitation, right? He heard the invitation and he believed that it was his, that he could just show up. But he refused to accept what was provided by God. He did not put on the garment before coming to the wedding banquet. My friends, let's get honest with ourselves today. We say that we love God. We say that we love Jesus. We say Jesus above everything, but the Lord knows our hearts. He sees what we truly care about. He knows if we're lying and just paying lip service to Him, what is on your heart today, my friends? We cannot continue to take the name of the Lord in vain. We cannot take the name of Christ and claim it for ours, yet we still display ourselves rather than allowing Christ to come alive in us. We have to stop it, okay? It doesn't glorify God when we go out there doing good deeds out of our own strength. We glorify ourselves. Look at me. Look at all the good deeds I've done today. How many have you done? and we compare and we try to outdo one another in our acts. How does the righteousness of Christ transfer or apply to us? How do we start putting it on? Let's look at uh, our third section here. The man that didn't wear the garment, not good enough, right? But the, the chosen that were at the party, The chosen that are at the banquet, what were they wearing? I want to know. Okay, Let's look at Job 29 verse 14a.
1: I put on righteousness and it clothed me. It clothed itself with me.
0: I put on righteousness and it clothed me. Just imagine this. You get up in the morning. you, You wipe away all your sleep. And the first thing you want to put on in the morning, I put on righteousness. I clothe myself with righteousness. But righteousness is not something that you carry on the outside, is it? Righteousness is something that stirs up from the inside. You might be ugly on the outside, so you try to put on makeup. But you still feel gross on the inside, right? So really you're just putting on a a pretty face, but inside you still feel like garbage righteousness does not leave you like that. You can't take the name of Christ and then still be living with this, I hate myself because I'm so sinful inside. You see, Christ's righteousness doesn't leave you like that. When you put on his righteousness, what happens? It clothed itself with me. His righteousness needs to dwell within you. His righteousness becomes a part of who you are And it it directs you on that right path that you need to walk on, you see. God promises, he promises us everything. He promises us, my righteousness is enough for you. It's sufficient, my grace is sufficient for you. What I have to provide for you, my friends, it's truly all you need. And we feel like, but I'm just a guy that came from the street corners. Someone came along and said this good news that I was invited to a wedding banquet with God in the sky? It sounds too good to be true. But then on top of that, he says, listen, this invitation, it's true. And it's for you. Here's a robe. Everything that you need, it's right here. Just put it on. And when you come, all I need to see is that white robe. I won't look at what's underneath anymore because I know that you're covered with everything you need in order to be here with me. Remember creation. God didn't create fish and put them in the air. Why? They're not suitable to be in that realm, right? God didn't create birds and submerge them in the water. Why? They're not suitable for that realm, right? God created us in his image. But we are now a broken image of God because we've been dabbling with sin and we walk around with stains on our white robes. That is not truly white at all, is it? But once you've been washed, once you've been purified, once you've been made clean by the blood of Jesus Christ, my friends, you are right with God. Stop doubting it. There's nothing you could do to earn your salvation. Why? Your salvation is a gift. To you. Stop trying. Is life going to be tough? Yeah, it's going to be tough. But you know what? We got a God that promised he's going to carry us through it. And through our weaknesses and through all our challenges, you know what? When we make it through that, he's glorified, isn't he? I could take no credit for the way my life has turned out. All the crap that I chose to do before, sure, I paid the consequences. But even after I turned my life around and came back to Jesus and invited Jesus to live in my life, I said, Lord, I need you here in my life. I know you could be my freedom because I'm tired of living this way. He is my freedom. He sets me free from the power of sin. And now I only operate by the power of his spirit. When temptation comes, I don't need to freak out. What do I do? I turn my eyes upon him. I turn my eyes to him, and I remember, you know what? I've put on righteousness. I've put on Christ, not just on the outside of me. I say, devil, there's no place for you here. Because when you put on his righteousness, his righteousness, it lives in you. What are you living today? What are you allowing to live in your heart today? Righteousness is the garment. And then he is the garment to righteousness. There is an interchange of sin and righteousness between Christ and the believer at the cross. He bears our sin so we can let that go. And we are clothed with the robe of his righteousness. Amen. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 to 14. It's interesting, this passage, it's like a greeting, but it declares so much. And this passage has been misunderstood, uh, even by myself, many a time. And I've struggled with this passage because I I only read it with eyes that I wanted to read it with. Mm -hmm. Instead of allowing God's Spirit to reveal what is truly in this passage. So as we read this, you're going to see some underlined words. And these are the things that I saw, again, with fresh eyes as I was preparing this very study just this week. And what a blessing it is when God reveals his truth in a fresh, new way. Be blessed.
1: Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight.
0: If you missed it today, go home and read the passage again. Allow God to reveal to you what message he wants you to hear. It's messages like these that have helped me stop relying on myself. It's messages like these that encourage me to want to just place all my trust in Christ. That, and to declare that he is truly enough for me. You know, we sing those songs, Christ is enough for me. And when we sing songs like this, declaring it, you know what? Sometimes I used to cry when I'd sing songs like that. Why? Yes, it's true, and I'm being confronted with the truth. But sometimes when I'm crying, I feel so bad. Why? Because in my heart, what I'm declaring doesn't match what's in my heart. Sometimes I declare with my mouth that Christ is enough for me, but my heart says, but are you really Christ? Are you really enough for me? and we go back depending on the very things we depended on before, right? God chose us in Christ. When? Before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. I used to feel like I wasn't chosen because I was living such a dirty life. And now... I can't even boast that I'm a chosen one because I didn't do anything except, except, except that I accepted Jesus, right? You ever feel that way? Like you're not one of the chosen? So you feel like, what's the point? If I'm not chosen and I get to heaven and I just get booted out, you know, what's the point? I used to feel like I'm, I'm okay enjoying my worldly life. And I felt like, it's not fair, what's this? I, I was predestined before I was even born? Yes. Okay. So, you kind of elaborate because they were chosen because they were in there, but they were of chosen Okay, I like how you put it because we think in timeline. We think in time and space. And because they were chosen first, or his chosen people first, the 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 Jews. And then everybody else, we look at it and we think, oh, they're an afterthought. But we also have to remember that before. God even created this world, there was already a plan of salvation. God already knew that sin would enter this place. And he allowed our world to be the stage, to be the stage where this story would play out. Okay? Now, for, and it's a very good question. Thank you for asking. So who were really the chosen? Was it the Israelites or those that seemed like an afterthought? Everybody was called. Everybody was invited. But what made these people the chosen? Even that one man that showed up and wasn't wearing the garment, was he chosen? He was invited. See everybody was in the the Jews were invited first, but they rejected the invitation. To be invited is not to be chosen. Let's make that clear first. To be invited is not to be chosen. They just heard it first right? And then those that didn't hear the good news, the good news was open to them and it was shared to them, right? So all the Gentiles now get to hear the good news, they get invited as well. But not all the Gentiles accept either, right? The chosen, it's not a matter of God chose me as an individual before the world began that I would end up in heaven later. I used to feel like I was cheated out of that choice, I feel like I thought I had free choice, the freedom to choose. But everything that we just read in that passage, it wasn't about us as individuals. It was about everything that happens in Christ. So before the foundation of the world, Jesus Christ was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And all those found in him are chosen. So if you choose to be in Christ, that's your choice. But no matter what you do in your life, it doesn't matter. Why? Because we are in Christ. We carry his name. As his bride, he takes care of us. We're covered by him. Right? We become his. He's the groom, the bridegroom, and the church is his bride. He chooses his bride, right? Everything that the bride is, doesn't matter what wrong you've done. Doesn't matter what you've chosen in life. The only thing that matters is that you chose me. Huh. Sorry, I just had an uh Yes. Uh, I believe that price chose to home, mm. but the question is the That's right. Do we
2: him Or do we and
0: So the chosen are are those that choose Christ that choose to be in him right and this is what we call the chosen okay couple questions yes mm-hmm. That's right. They share. the exclusive The elite were deceived. Yes, they kept the good news for themselves, so more people needed to be sent out for that news to be spread, yes. Thank you. Very good. Yes. God can use anyone, indeed. Yes. Yeah, they're elite. That it's theirs. Sure. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of different things yeah. going out there. And, and even today, I mean, thank you for sharing. And I, I think uh, many religions feel that they're the correct religion. Yeah. that um, But they're putting their faith in what they choose to believe themselves and, and just their teachings or their doctrine, whatever it is, right? How many of them actually even really... See, when we, we say we believe in Christ, it's more than just agreeing with a set of um, listed doctrine, right? It's not just saying, okay, well that religion looks good because I agree with the way that they do things. Like no matter what you agree with, God's truth will still be his truth whether you agree with it or not, okay? And God knows the light that you've been given. He knows all the different um, opportunities that you've had to come to know him and that's what we'd be judged by. We'd be judged by the light that we've received, okay? Um, The king in this parable he didn't say to the street people, listen, um, you have to fix yourself up and do this and that and choose to believe everything. Um, he just said, listen, here's a gift for you. This is the good news. And I've provided everything you need. When we trust God, when we say we believe in Christ, it's not just believing things about him. It's about putting our trust in him that he is indeed enough, that he has accomplished what needed to be accomplished so that we could be with God again, right? Right? I mean, that, that's all that it means when we say we believe in Christ. It's not something we do just with our head, okay? Because if we rely just on a rational mind, then we don't allow space for the Spirit of God to bring new light to us. We play God and we play judge rather than allowing God's Spirit to come and dwell inside, bringing new revelation, bringing his truth to your life, you see? Let's continue on. Um, I love these discussions that we're able to have. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 to 24.
1: You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness.
0: putting off our old self, right? Is your life still being corrupted by those deceitful desires? I mean, no matter how close I feel that I'm getting to God, I got to tell you, sometimes old stuff still creeps up, you know? I'm not proclaiming to be this perfect poster child for heaven, you know, deceitful desires can still creep up. Old stuff, old habits can come back and be thrown in your face. And those things are just there to distract us. They're there to try and tell us, listen, you're still that person that you were. Stop trying to pretend that you're a Christian. You're really just that guy. And that voice, it condemns me. And that voice, it keeps me in a prison. And that voice, I know, is not from God. God's voice is one that sets us free from that sort of oppression. Okay? Be careful with your speech as well. You might have judged somebody else in your life, and you just see them as that person all the time. You don't believe that they could ever change. Well, that person, they'll never change. And you kind of give up on them. But in your mind, when you see them, you badmouth them, You still talk about them the way that they used to be. Twenty years pass and you're still holding a grudge about that one little thing that they did. And in your mind, they are so evil. All right? Because all we see is that outside and we keep judging. It's not fair to that person and it's not fair to you to make you believe that you cannot be good enough with God. There's nothing that you can do to make yourself good enough. But once again, putting on the gift of righteousness, that gift of salvation, that is all you need, you see. And that doesn't come from you, it comes from God. Have you received and accepted that gift? Have you chosen it to be chosen in Christ? There's a bit of humility that needs to be present when you, a whole lot of humility, really, when you choose Christ. It means Christ over everything. Jesus over everything. Jesus over my life, his banner over me is love and everything in my life, it's Jesus. Stop trying to make a name for yourself. Stop trying to promote yourself. Stop trying to say, you know what? I could really make something of myself and be a real success story. And when you share your story, I got to ask, where's Jesus in that story? Is it just you that wants to be seen? Put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires. It says, be made new where? In the attitude of your minds the renewing of your mind. Stop thinking the way that you did. Stop believing those lies that you keep hearing from the devil. Okay? You are not ugly. In God's sight, you are beautiful. You are not so sinful anymore. God made you right with him. So start believing that. Stop believing the lies that oppress, that condemn, that keep you in a prison. Because Jesus is our freedom, friends. Put on the new self. Created to be like God. Not to be God, but to be like him how? In righteousness and holiness. Is your life set apart? Remember, the righteousness, it comes from God. All you need to do is trust him and obey him as he leads your life. You don't have to try and impress God because your deeds, no matter how righteous you think they are, are like filthy rags if you are not in Christ. Okay? Let's look at Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 to 27.
1: So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ.
0: You know, I, I sometimes I hear people say, "Okay, you read this verse and you ask, how many of you have been baptized?" And they're just talking about water baptism. The water baptism can't save you. Okay? The water baptism, as we've discussed here at Connections, is merely an outward expression of the transformation that's already happened on the inside of you, it's just a declaration that you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you identify with his death and resurrection. So you die to yourself and you come alive in him. So when you've died to yourself and you come alive in him, we can't change ourselves, but we could choose to allow God's spirit to start making those changes in our life, you see. In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. If you are baptized into Christ, it's the indwelling presence of Christ's spirit. That's what baptizes us into the body of Christ. Were you baptized into Christ? Are you clothed with Christ? Is his spirit dwelling in you? I always wonder how do I know how do I know if I've really put on Christ you know when you get honest with yourself I don't have to tell you and there's no formula to figure it out you don't rely on your own understanding about it you trust in God's wisdom and his revelation you trust his spirit at work in your life how do I know if God's spirit is alive in my life you'll know Don't feel bad. I mean, feel bad a little bit, but don't stay there, okay? Feel bad if a truth has come to you today and you've recognized you know what? I thought I put on Christ, but I know I really didn't. All right? Feel a little bit bad because you've been parading around as a Christian, taking Christ's name, but taking it in vain. We can still repent today. It's not enough that we were invited. Okay? It's not enough that we were invited. What matters is you know what God has done for you. What matters is you appreciate the the value of the gift that he has given you, the gift of eternal life with him, the gift of salvation, the gift of righteousness, the gift of faith. Where is your faith today? is his spirit dwelling in you. 1 Corinthians twelve, twelve to 13 says, just as a body, though one has many parts, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Romans 8, 9 says, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. God's truth can be very sobering at times, can't it? If the Spirit of Christ is not alive in me, I don't belong to Christ. I am like the man that shows up at the wedding banquet Not wearing what God has provided me. Romans chapter 13, verses 12b and 14.
1: So let us put aside our deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think how to gratify the desires of the flesh.
0: So, the chosen, what are they wearing? What did they put on? The chosen put on righteousness. The chosen put on salvation. The chosen put on Christ. I invite you, friends, today to take a good look in the mirror at yourself and ask yourself, what am I wearing Christ today? May God's Spirit bring revelation to you. May he continue to guide you as you seek him with all your heart. And I pray that you seek him with all your heart. Let's live to know him more, yes? Let's worship him.